interrupt me. Hello, welcome to Girl Uninterrupted, where we discuss issues and topics that affect women and female identifying people. As you know, I'm Lisa, and I hope that everyone has had an amazing week and great Pride Month so far. Before we jump into things, I want to let you know that the scholarship GoFundMe is still up for the LBTQ scholarship and the application is still open as well. So please make sure that any non-binary or queer woman, cis or trans you know that have graduated high school and need assistance, that they apply for the scholarship. We also have people to help them apply for college and to help them with their different things they need to do. So reach out to us and get them to apply. And here with me today, I have June. You want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I hope this is clear enough. My name is June Romero. I am a trans actress and activist from South Florida, born and raised in Miami. Um, I guess that's it for now, right? That's who I am. Yeah. yeah. So since I jumped the gun and I did um, my woman of the week, well, one of them, who's one of yours, June? Um, let's go with Lizzo. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go with Lizzo. Because um, inadvertently, and I'm sure very advertently, she's changing the game. Mm -hmm. uh, she's deserving of all the accolades she's got, and that that show she just put on at the at the MTV Movie Awards, or which one was Music Awards? I think it was the was it music or movie? I think I it was TV and movie. I think. I think, mm -hmm. and she did amazing, and it was that she uh, sampled that piece of Sister Act too. Mm -hmm. uh, then of course she was mentioned by Whoopi on the View, which was something huge. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Lizzo. Uh, I think Lizzo is a saving grace for a lot of us yes. uh, in terms of pop music. It's mm -hmm. what we want to hear. It's what we need to hear. Uh, and then she doesn't sacrifice any bit of quality oh. because she is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to see her collect those Grammys and those accolades. Because uh, so it's gonna happen. Absolutely. I love her. Have you heard the song with her and Missy Elliott? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's a workout song. I love it. Workout I regular. work out with Yeah, it's a workout all the time. Uh, Okay, second woman. I'm going to throw it all the way back to Eleanor Roosevelt. Ah. Because I think she was so ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. I think she was, uh, again, inadvertently a queer icon. Mm -hmm. um, and I think She was queer? She, yes. She... She had relationships with queer people throughout, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Or perhaps this was Grover Cleveland's wife. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps it was Grover Cleveland's wife. Mm -hmm. But Eleanor, what I do love about Eleanor is that she worked in conjunction with a native trans woman. Mm -hmm. Yes, all those years ago during her husband's presidency to help reestablish and re, um, re basically rebuild the education system on reservations. And nobody knows that because it's mm -hmm. part of queer erasure. Hello, okay. queer history erasure. Um, so yeah, super ahead of her time. And for the time that she lived in, certainly, certainly spoke her mind and did everything she possibly could, of course, reinventing the purpose of the, the first lady as we know it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Eleanor. Give me one more. Janet Mock. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, she just... Janet just signed that major uh -huh. deal for a series development for several things with mm -hmm. um, Netflix, which is historic for mm -hmm. a, a trans woman and a black trans woman at that. She um, has long been a good writer and a fixture on the writing scene. She wrote for, I think her first job was at Playboy, mm -hmm. then she moved on to People Magazine. And Janet is one of those of us who we call ultra-uber-passable. She is very passionate. She's lovely, and mm -hmm. she didn't have to. She really didn't have to. Janet could have lived stealth her entire life, but Janet chose in the political climate that arose a few years ago to come out and say that she's proudly a trans woman and lend her voice to our struggle because she's part of it. Um, Janet Hales from Hawaii, um, her book Redefining Realness was amazing, I read it. Her second book was also amazing, I read it. Mm -hmm. um, and she's just, she's a game changer. 
She's a game changer because she's even called out leading LGBTQ plus and trans activists on TV and said, do more, say more, speak and about this. And now she's going to be able to do more and say Absolutely. more. Well, she has been, you know, mm -hmm. she has, but she's been writing some really great stuff for mm -hmm. our community in for years now. Mm -hmm. And now she's going to be a part of Netflix's great, uh, you know, pantheon. So I'm excited about that. And am I going to write to her and email her and say, does she need an actress? Because I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Jane, in case you're listening. <laughs> That's your plug. <laughs> okay. So now this week's topic is a very important one. With everything that's been going on, this is important to talk about. So it's on the trans community, specifically trans women. And I was going to do this episode by myself, but I thought it would be better to have someone who's a part of the community talk about the issues that affect them. Um, this month alone, there have been how many trans women? This Ooh. month, it's probably been around four. I don't know if it's four or five, but this year we're at 10 or 11, too many. Mm -hmm. Just too many. Too many. Last year was 28, 90% uh, of them were black. And this year, of course, it's escalating. We always see the escalation point happen from the middle of the year onward for some reason. Mm. And uh, yeah. I mean, we're just being generous and just like, trying to educate them on, on something that they need to know a lot about. So we are going to focus on our trans sisters today. And we're going to do that through June Romero. She's going to talk more so about her story, where she's from, and um, a little bit about her journey. So, go ahead. Okay, so I was born here in the city of Miami to a Catholic Nicaraguan mother, and I was born to a practically agnostic, really sort of religiously unaffiliated Cuban father, but he did uh, relatively everything my mom wanted him to do for us, so for all intents and purposes, we were Catholic. Uh, I was raised one, at first, one of three boys. Uh, I say boys with big air quotes. And um, then my sister came along, so we became four. So I'm one of four children. We are, uh, were and are a blue collar family. Um, my saving grace and my salvation was always education and my desire for it. Um, I would often spend you know, hours on end because I knew I was queer in some way. I knew that my personality and my, I guess, even sexual identity at like six or seven onwards was, was at odds with most of the people around me. So I would spend a lot of time reading encyclopedias. And so I, I garnered that nickname from my family, Encyclopedia, because I would literally sit in front of the whole collection and just pull books out. It was much easier than having to socialize with other kids. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a nerd and intellectual and a big geek about things from childhood. And I was an intellectual first. That's how I first understood myself and the world around me. But then, of course, I came to the conclusions and the realizations that I was also queer, and then eventually that I was also trans. And all those things, like you said, are a big ball of yarn. They really are all tied in together. And one informed the other. And as I look back on my life, I see how one informed the other mm -hmm. and what it meant for me as a young Latina uh, growing up in the city and in the public school system, too. Uh, I was lucky enough to then move on to a charter school for 6th to 12th grade, which the charter school that I came from is, has received many accolades, Matter Academy Charter High School. They're oh, okay. practically their own school district mm -hmm. now. They are a subset, I think, of the company Academica, They, mm -hmm. you know, under Academica. Um, I celebrate them in many ways, but I also, I also healthily critique them in many ways. There were so few opportunities for me to express myself um, properly there without retribution. Um, Sometimes without them even knowing it, they were inherently transphobic and racist. Uh, our, you know, our um, 
code of conduct, for instance, the appearance uh, clauses of it, didn't allow for traditional black hairstyles. They would be called home, made to change them, made to shave them, their dreads and locks off. So inherently racist by that regard. And then also, if you looked in our code of conduct, you could see there's no cross-dressing at events. Mm. And I thought, okay. Specifically, no. Yeah, no cross no men cross-dressing. And I thought, why? You know, is it because you don't want kids to become... Whatever way you spin that, it's inherently transphobic mm -hmm. because it means that the image of a boy in a dress is not something we want to tolerate, even for humor. It's just not something we welcome or accept. That was something that we did at my high school, and I, I didn't... Now that I'm thinking about it, it was, even though it was for humor, it was something that was allowed for a while, and then they stopped it. It's, it's like it all came to a halt, and I don't know when that was or why that was, but... I, I, it may have something to do with the political influence of the state um, mm -hmm. and what sort of direction the state was swinging in and therefore what the educational system mm -hmm. was swinging in. Um, that may be it. I don't know. I really don't know the greater aspect of it. I know that when I read through those code of conduct rules, I felt wholly inhibited. Mm. I felt really restricted. Um, I was a, I expressed as a boy and presented as a boy then, even though I deeply knew that that was not what I was. But my hair was never allowed to grow past my ears. Mm. And that was the bane of my child, my, my high school existence was, I cannot grow my hair long. I couldn't even express at that point, I want it long because it's feminine or I want so they it long. Could never, they never allowed you to grow your hair at all. Boys could not grow at their that hair. School, or was they at that period? school. Boys could not have hair past their ears at that school. Oh my gosh, just something that's so simple but so... So personal yeah. and, mm -hmm. ide and identity uh, uh, woven, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was, and that's... When I look back, those were the little traumas I suffered all throughout high school. And at the end of my high school career, they had wore me down. I was um, failing classes. I was, for all intents and purposes, depressed. I was not making it into the schools I wanted to make it in because I didn't feel like I really had the foundation of personhood, of identity, mm -hmm. to cross that threshold into college. And so all those things contributed. Yeah, you know what? You know, we had somebody who was Sunni or somebody who, who was... Uh, another religion who had to have hair longer or that was part of the religious sort of practice. Nope, couldn't do it. You had Jamaican students. You had students from all of the Caribbean and even students of the African Jordan descent could not. And then you start teaching these black kids too, to be proper and to be accepted mm -hmm. is to remove your dreads, mm -hmm. is to remove your locks, is, is to, to remove, remove your, your braids. So that was very wrong with me. It still is wrong with me. And I don't know if they still do it. I think some cases they do. I don't know. Well, I'm in the schools a lot. I'm in the Miami-Dade school system, and they, they've gotten better about about the whole dread, dread thing, okay. at least in the, in the braids. Have and, you been to the charter and schools? And all of that. I matter. We're at I matter a lot. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, they've allowed them to, to kind of show themselves a lot. But, you know, it's, it's all within certain guidelines, like... It can't be too long, or it has to be neat, like, or it has to be kept. And then you, you know? yeah, and then you start. Uh, <laughs> yes. This is a weird game of like we're putting the parameters a little further now, uh -huh. just a little further, mm -hmm. but there's still parameters, mm -hmm. and I don't know how I feel about that. And maybe because I also don't know a world where I have really respected a black professor or teacher who has hair that would be regarded as unkempt mm -hmm. or unclean. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that world looks like because I have not been allowed to see it. I'm pretty sure there are some worlds that are like that, but um, I mean, I would like to think at HBCUs that it's like that. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that they're not, um, but you know, a lot of people, we've always talked about, this is on a whole different topic, but I've always talked about how 
even in HBCUs, how whiteness is still being taught there. Yeah. And it's, it's like the tone down your blackness for this because this, but I don't know if that's just America, if that's what most people think they need to do to survive or, or you know, I think that's the same thing as passing. Yeah. Um, I need to do this so that I can be safe or yeah. I need to do this so that I can make it, you know. So I, I don't I don't really know. Yeah. But I, I hope that in HBCUs it's like that. I didn't attend at HBCU. That would have been nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking I was talking to my friend earlier and I was like, could I have gone to an HBCU? And he was like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have, you know, openings and scholarships for students yeah. who are not black. And I thought, What? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I'm also a realist, mm-hmm. right? I'm also a realist, mm-hmm. and I know that we exist in a world where we are not the masses, uh-huh. and therefore we have to, on some aspects, we should be reining some things in and compromising on some levels. Mm. But I think the level of compromise is too too great still, and I think I don't the, even what what would that compromise even be? I sometimes I think, like I can't get hypersensitive if people want to see me a certain way or call me a certain thing or don't understand who I am. Sometimes I, like I have a lot of friends who say there's no need for us to be educating. And I think for some of us there is. Mm -hmm. For some of us we have a knack for education and a knack for communication. Mm -hmm. And it's our responsibility then to communicate and educate Mm -hmm. as much as we can. But I will still say on the whole, we've got issues. Mm -hmm. And there is a big distinction between a person who doesn't understand trans or a person who has never been around black people to a certain extent than somebody who is adamantly against blackness or against transness. Mm-hmm. There's a distinction. It is. But we also have to, as the minorities, walk that distinctive line mm-hmm. uh, carefully. Um, but yeah, now that you make me think of it, no, there's not. we shouldn't be making that many compromises. We should be for- forcing other people to accommodate to us in some senses mm-hmm. because we've been doing it for eons. Forever. But, okay, so back to your story. When did you actually get the chance to express yourself? So what was that environment and what was that time? You know, I will always say my parents were not um, particularly restrictive parents. They were not particularly overbearing in the sense that they did not impose on me the kind of boy they wanted me to be. I think my parents understood I was queer from very early on because my identity was so clear, or rather my conflict my conflict of identity was so clear that my parents thought, well, this one's just different. And since he's intelligent at that time, we're going to allow him to flourish the way he wants to flourish. However, I will also say that my parents sought no extra help and they sought no outside reference or guide for raising a trans daughter. And so inevitably I was met with a bunch of walls by my own culture, Mm -hmm. by the merit of my own culture. You know, I would spend time with my grandma and she would say aloud what we were, she was cooking and she was preparing the food for us. Like, if any of my grandkids ends up gay or if any of my grandkids ends up, you know, part of those, that group of people, they won't be my grandchild anymore. And I couldn't help but think she was talking directly to me. Hold on one second. Can you guys like, I mean quiet, like quiet. Can you do that? Thank you so much. And yeah, I, I guess that, yeah, my, my, my culture presented barriers for sure. And my parents weren't as active as they po- probably could have been in, in helping me reach that full level of expression. So what I guess I'm trying to say is I was sort of free to roam my life. 
I, I had my trips and falls and my problems. Then in high school, now I'm the kind of person, unfortunately, who internalized a lot of transphobia. I remember the first time I ever heard of a trans person was a high school play that my older friends were rehearsing. I must have been in ninth grade or eighth grade. And the sophomore, juniors, and seniors were rehearsing this play called High School Reunion. And in it, a character returns. Her name is Stephanie. And she introduces herself to the room, and they don't recognize and they don't recall her. And she says, it's me, Stephanie. Steven, you guys remember I used to be Steven? And that was my first ever exposure. And I remember being across the room in drama class and from probably 15 to 20 feet away, I heard that line and my head immediately popped up like a meerkat. Mm. And I looked over and then I looked back because I never wanted anybody to notice that I noticed. This happened quite a few times. And then I thought to myself secretly, is that gonna be me? Am I gonna be Stephanie? And that thought just occurred to me. And then I, I didn't revisit those thoughts for a good while because I understood. I, I tried to bring it up to some friends of mine, eighth grade. And the two friends that I brought it up to who I thought were totally supportive, they just didn't know how to respond to me. They had never heard of anything like this. So they sort of shut down. And that led me to shut down. And so I said, okay, I'll box this away and put it away. It's not the time, obviously. Um, things like that happened all throughout middle school and high school for me. Um, I had severe body dysmorphia and it was really tied to my gender identity. Um, I didn't want to take you know, certain pieces of clothing off ever. I didn't want to join in activities that other boys or other, even other girls would join in because I just didn't feel like my body was up to par. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had those issues. And then I graduated high school. I turned all of my, during high school, I turned all of those conflicts in my own mind, I turned them into humor. I turned them into personability and charm. I was a performer by nature, and so I thought, I'm going to funnel this into performance. And I did. I did quite well. I was a good performer all through high school. People loved seeing me in shows. I loved being in them. And then I graduated high school, and I thought, well, this would be easier, right? The world would be easier. And then I made my way up to Tallahassee uh, because I had the hope of attending Florida State University there, so I enrolled in TCC instead. And uh, through my time there, I really, I was really met with the reality of what the larger world looked like. I didn't realize that in my charter school, as restrictive as it may have been, I was still coddled to a certain point, and that was not a microcosm of what the world was at large. Um, when I entered the FSU scene, I realized, oh my God, genderizing of a college experience is very real oh my gosh yes if you're not a boy's boy here mm -hmm. or a girl's girl mm -hmm. here you're not gonna have a good time mm -hmm. and these students will make sure you don't yep. have a good time and i remember walking in short shorts this is before now mind you my problems with androgyny and being misgendered have been going on my entire life mm -hmm. um i'm actually intersex by birth two chromosomally so this mm -hmm. is not just an expression thing i have or a brain condition it's also a hormonal condition mm -hmm. I would wear short shorts and I went out for uh, game day celebrations tailgating around the city in Tallahassee and a group of inebriated college students, these five or six white boys, they yelled at me from yards away. They were yelling at me, what is your gender? What is your gender? And I remember that being the first incident of real gender-based verbal violence I had ever experienced and it made me run back home. I ran back home. I changed. And up until that point, I was out and proud and uh, happily gay in my school. 
but that did not have any effect on this moment. Mm -hmm. This moment had destroyed me on a different level. This was now my gender being brought into question, which I was questioning myself. And so that was really, that struck me. And I became, then I turned to drinking a lot of alcohol alone in my room. I became practically agoraphobic. Mm -hmm. And I had my first brush with suicidal ideation and suicide attempt when I was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, something's going on in this brain. I have to address it. And that was the first inklings of me thinking, can I transition? What does transitioning look like? So from 19 to 21 or 22, I still played with it. Smoked a lot of weed, did a lot of illicit drugs, spent a lot of time idling. And then at 21 or 22, I decided, yes, I have to transition for my own life. I have to transition because I see no other life before me. And I have no choice. So even I was grappling with the terms because again, I tell you I'm a realist, I'm an intellectual, I'm a person who goes by academia. And I thought, is it okay to call yourself a girl? I don't know. I know that I am a feminine entity in a world that seemed dominated by masculine ideals. And I knew that I wanted to express my physicality differently. I wanted to mold my physical self differently. And lo and behold, that ended up me becoming something that people perceive more as a girl. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the struggle of trans people. Some of us are very binary thinking. Some of us from birth or childhood mm -hmm. think, I'm a girl. And some of us walk a grayer line and eventually come to a conclusion about who we are and want to be. And so trans looks like so many things. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is that, yeah, I made that choice at 22. I made that choice to say, I don't know what the abyss in front of me holds, but I know that I cannot live like this anymore because I won't live. So that was the decision that was made for me in 22. And that's when I started to medically, medically transition. I got my first set of hormones. I was uh, referred through Care Resource to a therapist and a counselor. And that was the beginning of my new life. So was this something that you had to, well, you were 21, 22 at this time. Yeah. So you didn't need your parents' permission no. to go through it. But how did, what was their reaction? I remember trying to confide in my parents that I was transgender because coming out gay to them was so much easier because my parents conflated, like many people do, my parents conflated my femininity, my innate femininity, they conflated it with being gay. Mm -hmm. And so I have to say I'm also sort of culpable for hijacking that identity too for many people around me because I thought, well, that's what I am, I'm gay. And everyone who's like me must be gay. And, and that's not true. Not there at all. Feminine, straight guys. Or and there are also masculine mm -hmm. gay men who are yep. so afraid to come out because they don't have that feminine factor. People see. Yep. And so you know, whatever. That's a whole pot. But. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember coming out to them it was so easy because I was so certain. I was certain that I liked boys for sure. That was I was certain about that. Mm -hmm. And so my parents asked me why I was cooking pasta one day in the kitchen, and my mom looked at me and she said. Um, your brother likes this and your other brother likes that. And my father was sitting with her at the table and she looked at me peering and said, and you like, and immediately I popped my head out the small window and I said, boys, mom, I like boys, period. And that was it. That was coming out to my parents and they accepted it right there. Mm -hmm. But I think it was because they saw all these signs. Mm -hmm. So no matter what kind of parenting they gave me, they knew who I want, what I want. But then the trans thing was some, another hurdle entirely because 
I'm sort of, you know, I'm a creative. I like to think of myself as a small visionary. And I would look into the mirror and I would say, girl, one day you can be a beautiful girl in the regard that people think is a beautiful girl. You can get there. And I will admit that's my own struggles with possibility too. And I thought it can be done. I can live this life and I can be successful in it. My parents couldn't see that necessarily. They had seen me for who I was to them or who they thought I was. And so my mom remember her reaction being, well, you could dress like that for a day or a night, but you can't live like that. And that hurt me. But then I also have always had individual resolve. My parents have been presences in my life, but they've always let me do my thing. And in this, in this case, I did my thing. I took the reins and I said, well, I know what I'm going to do. So I drove myself, took care of resource. I got my own hormones, no parental you know, permission necessary. And I did it. And then they just said, well, if it's what she really wants to do, we've never stopped him before. So why would we stop her? Mm. So this is what she really wants to do, then she's going to do it. And um, there have been challenges. Of course. Um, my sister is a lesbian. That's mm -hmm. a whole separate challenge mm -hmm. because my story has also eclipsed her identity in a way. Oh, and my mom okay. doesn't understand how to reconcile the two, that mm -hmm. they're different or how they can be different. So there's all sorts of things like that. Um, yeah. But they never, they never like shut you out. So you weren't the type of queer who. who I was. Kinda... I did not find myself homeless. Okay. I did good. not find myself out on the street. Good. That did not happen to mm -hmm. me. And now I recognized how that has has served for me to become who I am, while it has served others negatively mm -hmm. when it happens to them. Mm -hmm. Now I realize the impact negatively it can have. Mm -hmm. And I only realized it, for instance, now because it just so happens. My grandparents are visiting right now from Nicaragua. My grandfather is practically uh, illiterate and he's a hardworking farm owner mm -hmm. and a, was a farmhand, became an owner, you know, uh, breeds cattle, all that kind. That's my mom's uh, parents' life, livelihood in Nicaragua. And they're here visiting, which is a rare occurrence. My grandparents have not seen me. My grandfather, particularly, has not seen me in transition or after it. Mm. And I am not allowed to go to the house where my grandparents are staying. Oh, no. I'm, I'm not allowed. And I say that because I've not been told those words. But I've been told, don't go there. Try to stay away. We don't know how your grandfather will react. And so... I'm practically cut off from my visiting family right now. They're having functions at that home. I cannot be there. I'm so sorry about that. Oh, no. Thank you. I appreciate it. But much like Marcus said earlier to us privately, I don't want people's of course. shame. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? Not saying you. But to me, I'm such a headstrong person uh -huh. who is ultimately my mother's daughter mm -hmm. that I just see an opportunity to reconcile this kind of poor education. Mm -hmm. I have to just reconcile this for the moment and I have to work actively so that future generations don't, don't have, have this issue yeah because the truth is trans people you know the, the logic they spin to me and my family is he just doesn't know that he's never been exposed to that and my thing is oh yes he has trans people have been around forever this is nothing new we weren't born out of Hollywood and we weren't born because the Cox decided to take a role on Orange is the New Black mm -hmm. we have been here forever and it is an insult to me and to people like me and our age-old identity for you to say that what I'm doing is a novel thing and that therefore it cannot be presented to my grandfather. That's offensive. And so from a very just intellectual perspective, I'm offended. Mm -hmm. From a family perspective, I'm also offended, but I also know who my family is. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect them to greet me with fireworks. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
but I also didn't expect them to not allow me to literally walk into the same house as him. So yeah, there's that. So it's the family that doesn't live in, in right. America. And so what about the other family? Is it is it just your grandparents or? It's just my grandfather. Okay. They're all doing it for the sake of my grandfather. Oh. And that's also a weird thing is like, mm -hmm. here we are again, prioritizing the needs of a man mm -hmm. before the needs of a woman mm -hmm. or whatever I am, but certainly not a man, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's where we are. You're more concerned about this very old man who is nearing the end of his life than you are about offending mine when I've got all of it left to live. But what do you think that that, for, for those who, who are going through things that are like that, what do you think that conversation looks like? You know, like, is it, is it just having it? Is it just saying it? Is it just showing up? Is it creating that, that type of um, temporary, temporary chaos in a sense where, or it might be a blow up or it could not have been, but like, what does that look like? Well, I have, I've had these conversations. I've had hard conversations with many people in my family. Mm -hmm. This is a line I won't cross. Oh, okay. And I'll tell you because I don't see any good coming out of it only because the conditions under, the circumstances basically we're under are, they're staying under my aunt and uncle's house, under the roof. I, I don't feel right walking into my aunt's house and creating a stir that I know will have lasting effects. My mother has been quite good at adjusting and understanding us. My mother calls me June, she calls me she, she introduces me to people she meets newly as her daughter. Mm -hmm. She's done quite well. So I'm not, I'm going to honor my mom's efforts and not disrespect a certain part of her by showing up there by force. That's my choice. Okay. If you're speaking to the radical in me, mm -hmm. I always tell people, family, you know, they say blood is thicker than water. The actual saying is blood is thicker, blood is thicker than water, but not, hold on, let me find it. I got to find this. No, okay. It's very important <laughs> because it's such a good quote. And it really shows that that quote is not what we think it is. Mm -hmm. Blood is thicker than water. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. That is the real origin okay. to that saying. I've never heard that part. Yeah. <laughs> the blood of the covenant, the people you choose to be in covenant with, is oftentimes thicker than the blood of the womb. So I would say is, as Hispanics and Latinos, we are often really indoctrinated to believe that family is all you will ever have. Same. And blacks too. Mm -hmm. Family is all you will ever have. So don't you dare turn your back on your family, even if they spite you, if they yell at you, if they abuse Which you. Which makes no sense. No sense. It makes no sense. And I, to the dismay of much of my close blood family, I have taken the steps to say, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I don't respect someone who does not respect me. Because I have always respected our traditions. I have always respected the culture in which I was brought up in. It's time for that culture to make room for me. Mm -hmm. So, and if my family won't do it, then I'm sorry, but they're not really my family anymore. They are my relatives. So when it comes to your mom, she respects you. She does. She, my mom really does make strides. So you're going to respect her in this regard and respect her wishes. Sure. That, that, that makes complete, complete sense. Because my mom is the one who's shown up for me. Mm -hmm. She's my mom. Mm -hmm. And these people have not shown up for me. So what, what, what do I have? As we say in Spanish, que tengo yo que pintar ahí. What, what do I paint there? Mm -hmm. What, what position do I play there except the adversary? And I don't want to go to someone's house and just be their adversary because the message is not going to sink in. Mm -hmm. 
I have yelled at my paternal grandma, but that's because I was raised by her. And I felt that that emotional exchange, though terse and tense, was worth something. And after it, we're in a better place. But not with these folks. Not with these folks. In fact, they just dragged my sister into a room while she was there, my aunt, and she told her that being a lesbian was hurting my mother. Oh, no. Right. And so they keep on playing this game. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was raised in a home of boys and volatile boys at that. I was raised to defend myself in martial arts. I was raised a little bit physically reactive. Mm -hmm. And I don't say I would get into a fight physically, but I, I am combative in mm -hmm. energy. I don't want to go somewhere where I know I'm going to be combative. Yeah. Because it's I not going to be met the right way. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather stay away. That's such a mature thing, though. Like, you're making a very mature decision based off of, and you, I can tell you are an intellectual person because it's not based off of emotion no. at all. Am I, am I upset? Oh, I'm pissed. I'm seething. But I won't do it because logically it just doesn't fail. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not going to put myself, and also, I'm not going to put myself through those dire emotional yeah, circumstances. Yeah, I mean, that's... So, okay, so where are you, where are you right now? So as in... With your transitioning, with your life, like your life as June, yeah. How how is it now? It's wonderful. I okay. mean, I, I never, I never. Um, when I was a kid, people always say you're going to be famous. You're going to be famous because I was so, you know, to them talented, and and I was just I was so driven. But um, I could not project a life being famous or successful or even functioning as Javier, who mm -hmm. I formerly was, uh, or who I was dubbed at at birth. And now I see all those things for myself. Now I can go. With some exceptions, because I'm still in transition. I have, I'm 3.5 years into transition. Many of us feel like we're not really transitioned until 10 okay. or 15. Um, so we use the term baby trans okay. to affectionately refer to somebody like me up until pretty much 10 years old. Um, so yeah, I'm still a baby trans, but I see so many doors opening for me now that I otherwise would not have opened. I have gained family, covenant family that has been kinder to me and more present to me in times of need than my relatives have. Um, and also I've made great bonds with my relatives themselves. Mm -hmm. I really have. My cousin, uh, for instance, we grew up together. He was a very macho kid. He always celebrated whatever I wanted to be, including being trans. When I decided to transition, he said, this makes no difference. This is still the same logic I'm applying, which is do you and do it well. And so my cousins are amazing. Mm -hmm. You have uh, a support system. I do. I do good. have a support system, mm -hmm. which is why I work. I do this work because I mm -hmm. need to extend that support system to other people. Yes, that's really true. Okay, so thank you so much for sharing your story because yeah. um, I, I think that you are amazing, and that going through that is is well, going through that and being not allowing it to to break you down, not allowing it to stop you from being yourself, and just being you. I think that's. That's great. Mm. All right. So that wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for, for tuning in and listening. Again, please, please go on our Instagram and click on that link and donate or come to the event on July 20th. You coming? You okay? What's the event? The, the Drag King. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Girl. That. <laughs> no, I, I looked at my time and I was like, girl, we've been here for an hour. I know, I know, I know. All right. So, like always, I'll send you away with some love. May you love people past your own perception. May you show the compassion that you will want others to show you. What do you have? May you build the integrity necessary to do something when it needs to be done. Yes. And may you find new identity in involving and, and including people you hadn't previously involved. Yes. So great. All right. So I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.